John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's just me, Paula Poundstone. I want to tell you about a HeadGum podcast I think you're going to love. Fake the Nation with Nagin Farsad, which I've done a few times now. So much fun. You may know Nagin from her TED Talk, from NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, or her book, How to Make White People Laugh. On Fake the Nation, Nagin and a rotating cast of her funniest, smartest, and most politically astute friends, people like Samantha Bee, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Paula Poundstone, Larry <laughs> Wilmore, Margaret Cho, and more. Break down the news, make you laugh, think, and deliver a gut punch to humanity. Wait, do we really want to deliver a gut punch to you? I thought we wanted to uplift humanity, support, (laughs) uh, protect humanity. But apparently Nagin has gone over to the dark side. I'll tell you, I I have had so much fun doing this show. Nagin tells me that one time I role played Naomi Osaka's publicist. I don't recall that at all, Uh, but... (laughs) I'm going to have to go back to that episode and listen to it because it sounds funny. Uh, Uprox calls Fake the Nation the perfect lighthearted fit for a newsy podcast queue that needs a little levity. Meaning the news needs a little levity, <laughs> not the podcast because it is very funny. Subscribe now so you don't miss another episode of Fake the Nation airing every Thursday. Find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or, and I hate this phrase, Wherever you listen to podcasts, like none of us would figure that out. Stop it. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, how awesome would you have to be if the least successful thing you were ever involved in was getting your face on a coin 70 years after you died? Well, You would have to be Susan B. Anthony level awesome, that's how. President and CEO of the National Susan B. Anthony Museum and House, Deborah L. Hughes, is here to talk about the iconic freedom fighter who gave no quarter, but who is often given away as a quarter. Seriously, those coins suck. Plus, look out below, we're about to drop a metric shit ton of knowledge. It's the return of our potluck info party. I'm Adam Felber, the man who tirelessly crusades for the emancipation of coherent ideas from the oppressive swamp of confusion and irrelevance. And now, please welcome a woman who will fight just as tirelessly for the right of all women to say absolutely anything at any time and lives that dream every day. It's Paula Poundstone. Hey, you guys. Hey, and thanks so much uh, to tonight's house band returning champ. Ben Castle on guitar, harmonica, and kazoo. Wow, I didn't know one could play the harmonica and kazoo at the same time. It can be done. It's It can be done. It's uh, surgical. Uh, I, I got a note. Tony's not here. And I found a note from her. A note? It says, by the time you read this, I'll be in a small boat rowing out to a big cruise ship. 
I long for adventure, and you can't make me read Moby Dick anymore. Jeez. What the? Wow. <laughs> we're, That's, we're, we're finished reading Moby Dick. Yeah, but she oh. probably felt like she was going to be pulled right back in it. And she, uh, you know, you know how much she loves that below deck scene. She might be just, she might be seeking out a completely new career. Well, then it says, it says, P.S. I'll be back in a month. Oh, um, so <laughs> not that yeah. much adventure. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was rage rowing, uh, but it's, it'll be over within a month. Um, oh, you know what? Speaking of Moby Dick, you know, those cameo videos, right? That I make. Yeah. And apparently so does Donald Trump Jr. now. Yes. So that's, it's a wide variety that you might get if you go over to cameo. Um, I did one for a guy who read Moby Dick along with us. I was so happy when I read that. Wow. Um, yeah, it was a guy named Gerard, and he uh, he joined the book club and read Moby Dick with us. Isn't that great? Yeah, well, Gerard, happy to have you aboard. The book club will write again. I think we might have to wait until uh, Tony docks somewhere, but uh, there will be another book club. We will find another book. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have to think of what the right uh, book is. I don't know. I, I'm putting my teeny beanie to it yeah. um i just don't i just don't know yet um you know speaking of those cameos that i do by the way th so there's reviews on them and i don't know if you just get the good reviews but i think one time somebody said they didn't like something but every one that i look at it's always sort of glowing to the degree that i've wondered if it was a computer writing the the reviews because they're they're very sort of consistent even with some of the language uh but anyway so i got one i got one the other day that said uh my wife loved it could have been helped with some editing but whoa wow yeah let's go back to the part where your wife loved it what do you mean could have been helped with them and by the way you can't edit the the video you just talk into the thing and then you push the button and it sends. You can't edit it. But um, <laughs> if I were capable, right. I could edit my thoughts while I was talking. But I believe that I've proved beyond a shadow um, that that's not really possible. I mean, I am really. partly here to edit your thoughts and I fail at it every week. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I get up every morning and fall asleep every night with this thought in my mind that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to be, you know, Less verbose on the following day. I'm not going to share all my thoughts. I'm going to I'm going to leave some mystery about who I am. Yeah. And so far, yet. Yeah, nothing. I have not been able to uh, do that. Um, well, let's yeah. uh, let let's move on anyway, because uh, you know that that that's what I do around here. Let's send it around the horn. Although it's really a horn of just one or two today without Tony. Um, yeah. Up to the valley, uh, the Simi Valley, where we, we heard her voice a little bit earlier. Your manager, our producer. Everybody's friend, Captain Crinkle, Bonnie Burns. What's new? Wait, I didn't know we were going to go around the horn today. Oh, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> we didn't say that at the meeting. Tony, Tony goes off on an adventure, and the next thing you know, yeah. Bonnie, Bonnie throws tradition <laughs> As we do in every show not involving a book club, Bonnie, we're just checking in with you to see how you are. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. What's well, new? When Bonnie was a kid, you know, they would light the menorah on the seventh night, and she'd go, wait, I didn't know we were lighting a candle. We did six last night. What is that? Doesn't tell me anything. 
Yeah, exactly. What? I wait. I sure we did the others, but I didn't know we were still doing it. Yeah, there's eight. There's eight. So Um, what's um, new, Bonnie? Well, first of all, there's a lot of pressure and stuff going on right now because Tony just like went. What was it? She said the letter or email and said, I'm on a cruise. Yeah, well, I found a note. By the time you read this, I will be in a small boat rowing out to a big cruise ship. Yeah. I long for adventure. She's like my number one go to person. Okay. Yeah, well, you're going to have to go a little farther. In fact, I think I called Paula after I got the email and said, Have you. Have you checked your email this morning? I think I'm going to shoot myself in the fucking head. And wow. speaking of that, Paula, do you remember the promoter we used to work with? And when he didn't get what he wanted, he'd say to me on the phone, well, fuck you very much and hang up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember you telling me that story. Yeah. yeah. My job's not that easy. Uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. So, but I'm going to tell you why I was late. See, it's just another thing going on. Okay. Yeah. Bonnie was late. Well, I was late. To the start of the show. So you guys had to wait a little bit for me. I was yeah. Sorry about that. Right. Um, and then I apologized and Sam said, oh, that's okay. Just giving everybody the blow by blow. Okay. Yeah, which I didn't so, ask for in any way. No, I know that, but whatever. <laughs> Sam, so, can you roll the tape of that? Sam, could you just roll the tape of that? <laughs> Here's how we feed the dogs. Because our dogs are driven by food. Okay, so we take these empty peanut butter jars and like can you get a Trader Joe's that are plastic and then I put the dog food in there and then it takes them a really long time to get the food out because they have to get it out of a peanut butter jar and it's pretty funny to watch them because they're walking around the house with these jars in their mouth okay I could not find these peanut butter jars we have a cleaning lady and we never can find where she puts stuff so I was going all around the house and saying what the fuck where the fuck could she have put these peanut butter jars and that's why I was late and I ended up never finding them I had to throw the dog food on the floor one in one direction, one in the other direction, so the dogs didn't fight over the food. And then I ran up here, called in so we could do the show. And I want you to know that I only heard the very end of that because my audio went out when you started that story about your dogs. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, it was a great story. All right. It was, it was a great story. You know, Adam, it was a, it was a compelling story. It was, uh-huh. you, you felt the, the main character's struggle. And you rooted for, and yet they were an anti-hero. I can tell you that the story started out, they call me Ishmael. Oh. Uh, it, it wasn't a short story. Well, the beginning I heard was, I had to feed the dogs, and that's when I lost it. And then I came back to hear her say, so I threw one dish one way and one dish the other way, and it came upstairs. That's the entire story I okay. got. Yeah. No, well, I don't use a dish. That was the I story. I just throw the kibble on the ground. Oh. Uh. I had two handfuls in one direction, two handfuls in the other, and then they each run oh. their separate ways. I'm so relieved. I thought it was canned food you were talking about. No. Adam. Yes. Have you ever been to dinner at Bonnie's house? Yeah, I know. Because like, uh, I think there was that time that you and I were at that dinner party. And she made yeah. she made a, a, a chicken franchise, I believe, and tossed one cutlet on the floor near the window. And I ran for that. I didn't see anything after that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was over in the corner where the cupboards are, um, uh, trying to get the rice. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. We, we didn't really talk. It wasn't that kind of a dinner party. Right. Uh, it was just, 
she just threw food. She just kept throwing food into various corners. Oh, is that one time that she threw only one morsel, remember? And you and I both ran to the middle of the room and started growling at each other. Oh, yeah. I beat the shit out of you over that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You had your. I don't know what came over me. You had your teeth on my neck, and Bonnie had to pull you off. Um, uh, Yeah, Bonnie uh, is the head chef uh, and creator at that fancy Beverly Hills restaurant. Um, Go and get it. Right. Which is right next to uh, Shea Rovers, so you got two, you got two uh, yeah. really, really upscale dog themed restaurants right next yeah, to each other. I like to go. I like to go to dessert at Fetch. It's just really there's a whole row over there. Oh, you can't stuff. get in there anymore. That's so trendy now. Yeah, very popular, very popular. Um, yeah, that's funny. I, yeah, you know what? She, uh, it was my wife loved it, but it could use some editing. Yeah, okay, that's a nice thing to say. Okay, now, Paula, I, I just want to say, I think we're ready to put the uh, the lid on that bet you and I had uh, from several weeks ago now. I think it was two months ago, where you insisted that we would have had um, at least two listeners who, when they were kids, played Oliver in the school play or the camp play or whatever, and uh, would sing us a little bit of Who Will Buy. And to this point, right off the bat, you had somebody. You had one, and, and at yeah. one it stays, and you said we'd have at least two, so... Are you yep, ready to concede, yep. Paula Poundstone? Uh, well, I'm not. Uh, I'm going to bring in the cyber ninjas to recount. <laughs> the count is one. We don't really need the cyber ninjas. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Bring them in to recount. And something might happen. You never know. Something might happen. It's going to be beautiful. Uh, For my part, as I, oh, as I know you guys know, but I'll share with our listeners, after we Adam, record this- Adam, po- what? Adam, yes. answer the phone. I never get to talk. Answer the phone. Okay, yes. Okay. <laughs> Hello? Hey, Adam, it's me, Mike Boom Boom Bonifant. I, I, I got a little bit of bad news. What's that, uh, Mike? You know, we're still going to hang out together, man, so don't go freaking out on me, you know what I mean? We're still going to hang out. I uh, doubt we will, but go ahead. A, a friend of mine called me, you know, she's a uh, chick, you know, uh, a nice girl, though. And, and and she told me she was in Oliver in summer camp as a kid. And I thought, cool, you know, there's some good tunes in there, you know what I mean? I like I like more the heavy metal, you know, because it's heavier and more metal. But Oliver's cool, right? So I'm thinking she played she played Nancy or a maid or something. Okay. And I, fuck, no, man, she played Oliver. Listen to this. <laughs> Who will buy this wonderful morning? Such a sky I never did see. Who will tie it up with a ribbon and put it in a box for me? Wow. So uh, so why is that man, bad news, it, Mike? It, it looks like Paula is a bat. I'm really sorry, man. No, that doesn't I, I mean that at all, honest. Mike. She would have to be a listener to our show who played Oliver as a kid. It was a it was Robin Josephs, my friend Robin Josephs. Uh, you know, it's a nice, really nice girl and everything. But you know, I couldn't keep it to myself. But I, I, I had to be honest. Uh, you never should have bet uh, a million dollars. Well, I, I, fortunately, uh, I didn't bet a million dollars. Uh, Paula, Paula, you d- bet a million dollars. Listen, man, I gotta uh, go. And, yeah. And d- don't try to borrow any money from me, dude. Because I, you know, <laughs> I won't. <laughs> uh, all right, I gotta go. Wow. Uh, bye, Mike. 
Well, Paula, if if Mike Boom Boom Bonifit is to believe we have another listener, that makes two, which is the subject of that our bet. That does make who, two, Who played Oliver it? in school and sang us some of that song. I, I, I feel like I didn't get a lot of information from Mike about it, but uh, it sounds like you won the bet. Well, it sounds like it was Yay. Robin Joseph's. Well, good for her. Good for her. Uh, that um, was very beautiful and very uplifting. I got to say, you know what? If you started every day singing that song, it w- that would be a great way to start a day. Yeah. It's an uplifting song. It's kind of uplifting. It's not really my kind of music, but uh, but it's an uplifting song. But oh, you know so what? So your kind of music is more like... Funeral dirges. That's good. That's good. I think that's the right attitude. There you go. I, I do want to say that um, you did win the bet. It's assuming that Mike is telling the truth, and uh, I owe you not a million dollars, but uh, two red uh, Wriggler worms. Two. I, are you sure it wasn't a bag of worms? I think it was two. I can't imagine. What are we going to do with two worms? I I'll look. I think it was a bag of worms. I'll get you a bag if I need to get you a bag. <laughs> but in any case, uh, congratulations on winning the bet. Apparently, we have had two listeners who uh, played Oliver. Adam, I, I have a word. Yeah? You do? You're great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's indolent. It's an adjective that means wanting to avoid activity or exertion. Lazy. Uh, here, Albert Finney used it three times in the I Hate People song in one of my favorite Christmas movies, Scrooge. You know that part where he goes, I hate people, I abhor them when I see the indolent classes sitting on their indolent asses, gulping ale from indolent glasses. Isn't that the movie where Scrooge gets really upset and says he's mad as hell and not going to take it anymore? No, no, no. This is a different. That's a different movie. This is Scrooge, uh, and he uses the word indolent. So when I saw it, I'm like, you know what? I've watched that movie, you know, so many times over the years, and I never knew what that word meant. All right. Uh, so fixed that. Um, th- th- this is a word that I should know for sure. Indolent. So let's uh, let's put this word right into the vocabulary song. This week's word is indolent. It's an adjective that means wanting to avoid activity or exertion. Lazy. People who get up in the morning are crazy. Last week's word was sagacious. It's an adjective that means having or showing good judgment. Catching a great Cirque du show in Las Vegas instead of choosing to pay rent. The week before that, the word was captious. It's an adjective that means tending to find fault or raise petty objections. The January 6th commission is too soon. It's too late. It's too broad. It's too narrow. It'll interrupt Trump's erections. Going back before that, the word was rebarbative. It's an adjective that means repellent or irritating. You're very cute except when you're regurgitating. And not long ago, we had a pursue, a pursue, a pursue. It's a noun that means a comment that makes a clever or entertaining point. A justice system that keeps people in prison for weed stinks up the joint. 
Let's never forget Gallimaufry, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do, I do. Yeah, Paula. Wow, that was uh, that was pretty special. I'll bet you off on that rowboat. Tony is craving some Glock right now. She's not indolent yeah. on that boat, and I, I would wonder whether she is craving Glock. Oh, surely she is. Yeah, or per- perhaps <laughs> that's what's motivating her to row harder. Um, <laughs> I think that might be motivating her to row harder. Coming up, Margaret Thatcher famously said, "If you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman." And if you want something well done, you really don't appreciate a good steak. We talk Susan B. Anthony, a woman who got a lot done next on Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. Adam! Yes? One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. And the sixth one has start a podcast. If that's you, <laughs> make 2024 the year you finally checked learn a language off your list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. Don't do it. Or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. And Paula, I got to say, I really appreciate the whole like getting phrases that are important to know in that language right away, like how to order food, how to ask for directions, how to speak to merchants. And I really dig more than that, the speech recognition technology, because even if some of our listeners think that I have a weird cadence when I am attempting to speak Spanish, (laughs) I am am speaking it well enough for the Babbel app to understand what I'm saying, at least when I do it right, like this. Listen to this. Adios, Carlos. Ya te vas. Si, es tarde. Entonces, buenas noches. Hasta pronto. I don't think you have a weird cadence. I think it sounds great. Thank you. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Yikes. And their football team is fantastic. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Is there some kind of special? Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription. Wow. But only for our listeners at babbel.com slash nobody. If I'm not mistaken, Paula, that is 55% off at babbel.com slash nobody. The one spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com. And then you just add a slash and the word nobody. And it's 55% off? Yeah. Wow. Rules and restrictions may apply. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. Adios. 
Hey, everybody. As longtime listeners know, when Helix Mattresses first started sponsoring our show, Bonnie Burns somehow got the drop on me and made off with the first mattress. But in the intervening years, I have gotten myself a Helix mattress. I've had it for almost a year now, and it has improved my sleep. It has improved my life. I could not be happier. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, which I have, the newly released Helix Elite Collection, which is a mattress designed just for big and tall sleepers, and they even have mattresses made just for kids. Now, if you're like me and you were a little nervous about trying it online, or like Paula, who was screaming in fear of buying a mattress online, don't be. The Helix Sleep Quiz takes into account your individual sleep preference to match you and your partner with the perfect mattress. I took the quiz and I ended up with the great mattress for a side sleeper, the Helix Midnight Lux. Take my word for it, everybody. The Helix Midnight Lux. Oh, don't want to take Adam's word for it. I don't blame you. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula and use the code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Paula. Paula, I invited you over, but you fell asleep. Helixsleep.com slash Paula. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. Hey guys, it's Adam, and tonight is January 3rd, and I am picking Giannis Antetokounmpo to score less than 36 points, and James Harden to score more than 16. Why? Because I like beards. Am I putting a lot of money on this? I am not, because I'm not really a gambler, but I am having a lot of fun with Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. They're the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, who I would lose to, you pick more or less than two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in, or in my case, not. So I don't bet a lot. With the basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James and Travis Kelsey had a 10.5 combo of three points made, plus receptions. Do I get that? Kind of a little bit. Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and doesn't return in the second, that player is rebooted. So, it's like an insurance policy. Go to prizepicks.com nobody and use code nobody for a first deposit match of up to $100. That's prizepicks.com nobody and use code nobody for a first deposit match of up to $100. And then drop by and see how I did with the Greek freak and Harden again on January 3rd. My hopes are not that high. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. On this day in unremarkable history, Bono said, who wouldn't want an automatic download of my album on their phone? (laughs) (laughs) 
Thank you, House Band Ben Castle. Paula, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the um, American Women Quarters program, which is asking for input about which significant women to uh, feature on the corner. And uh, we responded by honoring a bunch of insignificant women. But that got you a thinking, I'm told. That's right. It made me think about the first woman to ever appear on a U.S. coin, which was Susan B. Anthony. And what that really made me realize is that she's a really significant woman, and I really don't know much about her. Uh, well, what can we possibly do about that? I don't know. I was I was wondering if there was, I don't know, some sort of expert, or maybe there was a... Uh, well, you know... I don't know if, if this can help at all, Paula, but we do have someone on the line right now who is the president and CEO of the National Susan B. Anthony Museum and House in Rochester, New York. Do you think that might help? Oh, my gosh. You know what? This show, you know, you know, people say there's no such thing as coincidence. Right. I, I don't know, because we have coincidence after coincidence on this show. Yeah, this is this is beyond coincidence to outright serendipity. As I said, she is the president and CEO of that Susan B. Anthony Museum and House. Please welcome Deborah L. Hughes. Yay! Welcome, Deborah. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much for being here. So, uh, Deborah, why... Is Susan B. Anthony famous? <laughs> Honestly, I never even heard of her until she was on the silver. Wasn't it a silver dollar she was on, right? It was a silver dollar, yes. And then there was no slot for dollars in the tray of a cash register, which is the same thing about the $2 bill. There was no slot for it. And this made it not, um, not very tradable. That and they changed so that suddenly vending machines could take dollar bills. Yeah, that, that oh, was that's a good point. And I mean, one of the main criticisms when the Susan B. Anthony dollar came out, and this was no fault of Susan B. Anthony's, is that it was only about two millimeters in diameter bigger than a quarter. So people were constantly giving them away as quarters. Yeah, a lot of cheap people were really angry. <laughs> All right. Anyways, back to my original question, which is why is she famous? Who was she? You know, in the turn of the century, uh, Susan B. Anthony and Queen Victoria were the two best-known women around the whole world, the turn from the 19th century to the 20th century. And partly because she was really, really good at promoting herself because she was trying to promote a movement. And she was one of the first people to say, get press, get good press if you can, but just keep them talking. So Susan B. Anthony marketed herself. Oh, And she became pretty famous because she, yeah, and she was so dedicated to human rights on all different levels. Uh, even the people who despised her by the time she died, there was one reporter who said that this idea about women getting the vote, well, that that will never happen. But she's changed the world more for women than anyone in any prior century. Wow. Well, now I feel like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> so let me ask you this. What made her do it? What was life like for women without the vote? And what could she see you know, because sometimes when someone has never done something before, why does it occur to them to do it? Yes. Well, she was born in 1820. So the United States was only you know, about 50 years old. And everybody thought this was a crazy experiment, this democracy idea. And she was a Quaker. And Quakers had a pretty unusual religious idea, which was that every human being had within them the light of God or the universe, which meant that Girls and boys, men and women, all had that independent uh, strength and also a, a sense of vocation. And so 
they were pretty unique in this idea that men and women should be equal uh, before God and before others. And she was born into a world where slavery was legal. And she also was told that this nation had been founded on the idea of, you know, no taxation without representation. And she mm -hmm. felt the revolution wasn't finished yet, that really we could become a better democracy if everybody could be at the table and everybody would have a vote, men, women, all people. And so she, from her earliest days, had this internal sense that the world wasn't as just a place as it should be. And I think she just had it in her DNA to be a champion for human rights. But at the time, to most people, right, that was like a, a crazy idea. That was like saying we're going to go to the moon before we went to the moon. Am I right about that? It, it made no sense to most people. Well, yeah. I mean, if you talk about human rights, then can we even comprehend the idea that people were enslaving people and, and owning people? And a woman uh, in, in most states in the early days, the law said a man and a woman become one, and the one is the man. And legally, Jane Doe, when she married Fred Smith, the reason she became Mrs. Fred Smith is because legally Jane Doe no longer existed in the eyes of the law. So wow. she couldn't own property. She couldn't have a bank account. Any wages that she earned, if she did, were all his. She didn't have any rights to the children that she bore. Uh, it was a pretty different world. But, but that's just for you know women who looked like me. But right. imagine for indigenous women or uh, women from Asia or uh, women who were enslaved. Uh, it, it was... Not not a century we would want to return to. No, no. no. And Susan B. Anthony was also quite an abolitionist, too, wasn't she? Yes, and people don't know that. Um, she was involved in a series of social justice issues. The first one was temperance. Uh, you know, there was lots of alcoholism in the 19th century. And if you were married to an alcoholic, you couldn't legally get divorced. You couldn't leave. There was even a time when a, a man could uh, indenture future children who were not yet conceived to pay his bar bill. And so, wow. uh, yeah, pretty, Boy, pretty lousy talk, deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about being born on a dark day, right? right? Oh, my gosh. And and a woman couldn't leave a marriage. Um, you know, not only would she have society uh, casting her out, but she couldn't rent or have a bank account or make a living on her own if she'd been married. And so Susan's first big cause was moderation in all things, including drink. And then she inherited from her parents a uh, passion about ending slavery. And, and the Quakers actually split in the 1830s because a lot of Quakers felt you shouldn't be involved in politics and social issues because that was corrupt. And it was better to try to build a community separate from all of the, the sin and craziness of the real world. Um, but then other Quakers said, we can't stand by and let this horrific institution of slavery continue. We've got to be socially engaged. And so Susan B. Anthony's father uh, was an abolitionist. And on Sunday afternoons, if you went to the Anthony Farm here in Rochester, you might meet a guy named William Lloyd Garrison uh, or John Brown. And that's where Susan B. Anthony met Frederick Douglass through her father. Wow. Yeah, she was one of the first speakers in the New York State Abolition Society. And now imagine you're a single woman. If you travel by stagecoach in a lot of places, you can't go into the tavern and get a meal. You have to have packed all your food in advance. You couldn't rent a room because single women weren't allowed, you know, that would you only the wrong kind of women would do such a thing. And she traveled all 62 counties in New York state to speak against slavery. And was she a single woman her whole life? She was her whole life. Yes. This was, by the way, this thing where you can't go in and so you have to bring your own food is the polar opposite of what Disney does. Yes. Uh, which is, you can't bring food in. You have to eat their bad food. 
So, right. all right. So, how was she educated? Oh, well, you know, she was educated. They did have a, a public school, and she went to that. So, she didn't do the distanced learning? No, no. Oh, no, no virtual geez. for her. Oh, my gosh. You know what? She was so lucky. <laughs> they had distance learning in the late 19th century uh, during uh, one round of plague, at least on the East Coast, but it involved a lot of yelling. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Pigeon, pigeons. Uh, <laughs> okay, so she went to a public school. So, well, a district school, but she, when she got to be 11, um, she wanted to learn long division, and the teacher refused to teach her because they actually thought that if a girl exercised the muscle of her brain, it would cause other important female organs to shrivel. And so it was a waste of time to teach her math. Uh, But her father stood up for her and hired private tutors and said that his daughter should be taught anything they wanted to learn. Why? Why did he know that? Well, partly that Quaker belief um, that Mm -hmm. girls were just as valuable and significant as human beings as boys. And also, you know, I think there are a lot of amazing women who had fathers who who saw that in their Hmm. daughters early on. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was a good, so was her mother. They were, they were both really good supporters of all the causes. Uh, so he said, you know, teach her whatever she wants to know. And she was insatiably curious. Uh, then she went to a place called Deborah Molson Seminary in Philadelphia uh, to get more like a higher education or, or high school education. Uh, and she ended up having to drop out of school because her father went bankrupt in the big stock crash of 1837, 38. And so she went to work to help support the family, became a school teacher. Oh, do you think she was always driven to be on the silver dollar? (laughs) (laughs) You know, she actually, people Eh. talked about making statues of her. She said the last thing she wanted to do was be a piece of iron that would collect pigeon dew. Oh, gosh, what a great answer. (laughs) Uh, I love that. Um, All right. So she went and then she became a teacher. She became a teacher. Um, Yep. And uh, did she teach long division to girls? She would have taught anything, I think. You know, that's a good question, though. I would think she would have. She, you know, she learned all the classics. You don't um, have any of her lesson plans? No. <laughs> no, we don't. Uh-huh. What, let me just, what do you have in the, in the house? Is, is it the house that she was raised in or a house that she moved to? It's a house that she moved to. She moved there just after the Civil War. Her mother actually bought the house. Her mother had been widowed and moved in with her daughter two of her daughters susan and mary and uh she lived there from 1866 to 1906 so those were her most politically active uh years when she was mm-hmm. uh, raising trouble all over and um it's the house in which she got arrested for voting in 1872 and, so she voted illegally well i think she may have thought she voted legally she based it on the, the brand new 14th amendment yeah, there were suffragettes that believed that you didn't need another amendment, right? That was what her argument was. Yeah, when the 14th Amendment, you know, it was one of those amendments after the Civil War was passed. And that's the one all that gives us gay marriage. Um, it's the same amendment that says that anybody who's born here is a citizen of this country. And the women kind of looked around and said, wait a second. We're already <laughs> citizens. <laughs> Who knew? Here we've got the United States Constitution says we're citizens. So let's claim the right. And there was women all around the country attempted to register to vote that year. In fact, even Sojourner Truth tried to register in Battle Creek, Michigan. So it was all part of all these early suffragists were out trying to register. Anthony and uh, 15 women in Rochester succeeded. And on Election Day in 1872, they marched from the house where we are and right down Main Street, which was in Buffalo Road, 
and into the polling place and cast their ballot. And two weeks later, here comes a United States Marshal. Says, wow. Ms. Anthony, I have a warrant for your arrest for illegally voting. So news was out. It was a big deal. The newspapers wow. from 1872 till June of 1873. This was like the trial to watch, the big uh, deal. Even though other women were indicted, um, she was the only one who went to trial. And it was it was terrible. The trial ended up being Canandaigua, about an hour away by train. And the judge wrote the decision before the trial started. Oh, my gosh. Wouldn't let Anthony speak because this is a woman who'd been speaking all around the country for years and wouldn't let a woman speak because women were considered too hysterical to speak in a court of law. Oh, and well, because of what the math had done to her. Exactly. Private parts. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I see the logic. Yeah. I absolutely see the logic. Totally. I know that, uh, you know, I don't do a lot of math, but I much prefer to, you know, uh, to do like a, a bunch of numbers on the back of an envelope than to use a calculator. And I'll tell you, it's dried me up. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure calculus is birth control for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, suffragette Julia Ward Howe said, when I see the elaborate study and ingenuity displayed by women in the pursuit of trifles, I feel no doubt of their capacity for the most Herculean undertakings. We're going to get back to pursuing trifles later, I promise. But first, we're <laughs> going to talk more about Herculean undertakings when we return. The cat of the week is Creamsicle from Tijuana. <laughs> The spread of misinformation has fueled our cultural divide and increased our collective anxiety about the future. Tackling misinformation isn't a simple task, but it's important. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about Conspirituality, a podcast that's dismantling new age cults, wellness grifters, and conspiracy mad yogis. On the show, a journalist, a cult researcher, and a philosophical skeptic walk into a bar and the bartender says, no, 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 it's not that old joke. They dive deep into current events such as RFK Jr.'s involvement in mainstreaming dangerous anti-vax rhetoric. They crowdsource, research, analyze, and dream up answers to the problem with, get this, proven science as their ultimate guiding light. I highly recommend you check out Conspirituality's fascinating episodes on creating comedy in the MAGAverse with Jordan Klepper or RFK Jr. flirting with body fascism. And you've listened to a bunch of them at this point, Paul, I know, and you tell me you love it. I, I do. They're, they're fascinating. And my favorite part is they use, wait for it, proven Science, Science. and and if if there's any kids listening, that's a class we used to take. Proven science as their ultimate guiding light. I love that. From exploring cults to analyzing our cultural and political landscape, the Conspirituality Podcast will help you stay informed about misinformation and help you resist fear tactics. Find Conspirituality on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. detective came and knocked on the door and I said is it Renee and he just gave me that solemn look it was the worst day ever the proof podcast is back with a new case and a new season 23 years ago 18 year old Renee Ramos went missing her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town I don't think that they arrested the right people it's about time somebody's trying to do something She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. 
You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? And we're back with Deborah L. Hughes of the Susan B. Anthony House and Museum. Deborah, you said that Susan B. Anthony had a flair for self-promotion. She was one of the first people to get that. Uh, there's no such thing as bad press. How did she get press at all in those days? Well, she was a genius at it. Uh, by 1869, she was she had her own newspaper with Elizabeth Cady Stanton, uh, The Revolution. She organized press groups and committees with all of, you know, she was a huge organizer. She thought of herself more as an organizer than as a speaker. And she was gifted at it. She, you didn't want to be on the other side of her tongue. She was witty and entertaining and sharp and would never turn down an opportunity to speak to the press. It sounds like she wielded the apersu. Um, <laughs> it's a vocabulary word from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, um, it's making a point in an entertaining way. Um <laughs> So, you know, how did she have a, a newspaper? I would think if you couldn't do your own banking, was that only after you were married you couldn't do those things? And so she still could because she wasn't married? Actually, Paula, yes. The, um, there were times when she and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and Stanton was married, when they were traveling together for the work, Susan B. Anthony would have to be the person to rent the hall all because she could enter into a contract and Stanton wow. couldn't. Oh, interesting. And the newspaper actually did go bankrupt. Yeah, and Stanton said, this is your debt, not mine. Uh, and Anthony <laughs> Murray stole the money to pay off the debt. Uh, but she she also, um, with uh, Matilda Jocelyn Gage and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, they wrote the first four volumes of the history of women's suffrage. No one was writing women's history from a woman's perspective. And so they did that. They're huge volumes of, you know, 1,000 pages each. Then they also, uh, she had a woman named Ida Houston Harper write her authorized biography while she was still living. So she made sure that she was in history and that history was told the way she wanted it to be told because no one else was going to do it if she didn't do it. She published uh, um, the transcript of her trial uh, for being convicted of voting and wow. sent it out to libraries all wow. around the country. Uh, and so she was, she really did understand the power of the word. Yeah. Great idea. Yeah. All right. So she had these ideas that clearly angered people. I mean, if a judge behaves that way, right, and yeah. if everybody yeah. involved in the justice system that was watching it take place seemed to be pretty comfortable with it, then clearly these outrageous ideas that she had angered people. Yes. Um, so what was her strategy? Like now we have a situation where the congressional representatives um for a lot of states are actually not representing what those voters support. Like polls say, for example, some of Biden's policies are, are very uh, popular, but the representatives are trying to kill the bills. So in her case, did she have a minority of support for what she was doing and then sort of sowed the seeds to educate people and made it into a majority what was her strategy? Well, she, that was a very long-winded way of saying what was her strategy. So she died 14 years before the 19th Amendment was passed. And she worked at this for, you know, it was 72 years. Um, 
And, then, and even then it wasn't a slam dunk, right? Even, even, even now, it's still, we're still working on voting rights, right? Yeah. All right, so, I have to uh, say something really awful. What's the 19th Amendment? Damn it. So the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution, which was passed uh, in August of 1920, we just celebrated the 100-year anniversary last year. Uh, it was nicknamed the Susan B. Anthony Amendment because she had done so much of the work, says that um, no one could be discriminated on uh, denied the right to vote on the basis of their sex and that the United States Congress has the authority to make sure that states respect that law. Huh. How's that going? Yes, yeah, right. It's still, it's still <laughs> well, and even when it was passed, you know, we're still working on voting rights in this country. And, and that Anthony, this is why she's so relevant. Yeah. Because, you know, people think that it was all about the vote. Well, for her, it actually was about building a better society and human rights for all. And she passionately believed that if every citizen had input, we would make much better policy. We'd be a better nation. We'd take care of the people who most needed care. We would be better at this great experiment of democracy. And she did not like partisan politics. So did she do it through educating people by speaking, um, by by what she printed in her newspaper? Or was it strikes? Or was it, uh, you know, marches? I, I have a bad feeling that marches nowadays are um, are benign in a way. It wouldn't stop me from marching, but I don't. I'm not seeing what you would think would happen when you can see millions of people going no, 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 and then the Congress still does whatever. Yeah, um, she said, our "Agitate, educate, organize" must be our battle cry, and so she thought first you had to stir people up and get them out of their complacency. Uh, and then explain to them what, what's really going on and then organize to make change. And in her century, the first thing was this radical idea that every human being, every person was a human being and had rights. And that if we supported one another and if girls grew up with boys, uh, people would uh, have all kinds of skills and talents and all of life would be better. Um, she saw the agitation and education that led to the Civil War and to the emancipation of people. And so she did believe you could open up people and change their mind by getting them upset enough about the circumstances. Um, but her life was threatened more often when she was working against slavery than when she was working for women's rights. But she would get thrown out of town. They would throw pepper in the potbelly stove so it created like tear gas so everybody would leave. They would Hecklers would go in. She didn't have microphones. And they would scream and yell so that she couldn't be heard over the tops of people. They discredited her. You know, she was too tall. She was too loud. She was too homely. She was too attractive. She was, you know, no matter what it was, they discredited her sexuality. They discredited her looks. They discredited her tone. Uh, and that was all to shut down the movement. It's a similar tactics as yeah. today. Yeah. It's the January 6th commission. Uh, it's, yeah. it, it's too loud. It's too quiet. It's too weak. It's too strong. It's, it, you know, it's not time. It's past time. It's too time. late. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's too late. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. And the newspapers were right that they were the devil incarnate with their crazy ideas. You know, at one point in 1903, she got interviewed and they were saying too many women are going to college and getting married later. And so it's uh, ruining families. And it's all because of Susan B. Anthony and the suffrage movement. Wow. What did people think was going to happen if women had the right to vote? 
Is it, I don't think I've ever read about that. I seem to remember something about what people said would happen if uh, slaves were emancipated and black people were given the right to vote. But what was the argument against women voting? Well, you know, there were different, some people thought women should have the right to vote because they were um, more domesticated and we would be a kinder nation. Others thought that they would just vote according to what their husbands told them to vote. Uh, but oh. they did initially they said things like, well, women had never been involved in business. And so they wouldn't be able to make good decisions. And they didn't have an executive center in their brain. So they wouldn't know how to think things through. And then Congress was such a nasty place. Why would you ever send a woman off to be engaged in the work of politics? They, they said all of those things. They, th- they thought Congress was a nasty place then? Yes. Oh. Yeah. One congressman knocked another over the head with a cane and uh, gave him a concussion and sent him to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, uh, the I nastiness, I think, has festered over time. It's grown yeah. like a mold. <laughs> right. So she was, she voted. And, and by the way, I'm assuming that everyone knew she was going to vote. Yeah, it was a big deal. It was, it was press all across the country. Um, you know, and women were trying to vote lots of places. Mm-hmm. So what were the other things that happened leading up to uh, women getting the vote? Well, you know, she felt that right after the Civil War, this was the great chance for the country to right itself, you know, to get over the sin of slavery. And um, it was one of my favorite speeches when someone is asking her what the Civil War is about and she's saying it's to end slavery. And some people are saying they wanted to go back to the way the world was. And and she says she doesn't want a union the way it was. She wants a union in fact, not a sham. Nice. And yeah, it's, it's a very powerful speech. Uh, but right away after the Civil War, the women's movement folded itself into the American Equal Rights Association. And their initial agenda of that organization was to get the right to vote for the two biggest groups that didn't have the right to vote, black men and women. And for Susan B. Anthony, women included black women and white women and other women as well. And they actually, uh, they had a whole convention where they folded it together. I think for her, she saw this moment after the Civil War as really this opportunity to actually have a democracy, to to take the vision that was in the Declaration of Independence and the early documents, but really wasn't the country that we had right. for the first time, and, and make it right. But within the next two years, the Equal Rights Association had split because they felt that they could get an amendment passed to grant black men the right to vote but that it would take way too long to get women the right to vote. And she felt betrayed and upset. And it looks like she was opposed to black men getting the right to vote, which she wasn't. She was opposed to dividing the movement. Um, but that's one of the controversial things as we look at the, at the woman suffrage movement was, um, you know, was it that I just wanted to have people look like me get the vote or did I really want everyone to get the vote? And um, she and Douglas restored their friendship a few years later. But I think, you know, there was that moment a hundred years ago for us, well, 150 years ago now, for us to truly be a nation full of freedom and liberty. And she'd seen that window and then she saw it shut down. And then she also saw the first Civil Rights Act um, and black men getting so much more power and freedom in the 1870s. And then she saw the emergence of Jim Crow you know, and things like the Tulsa massacre. And she had Ida B. Wells Barnett, who was a black woman who wrote all about lynching in the United States, was a visitor at the Anthony House um, and came to Rochester to speak. And Susan helped promote the record that Ida B. Wells wrote. So she saw the worst and the best of the United States. How did she die? Uh, She died in in the house uh, in 1906 at 86 years old. Uh, She was in Baltimore. She came down with pneumonia and they sent her home on the train. She had said she wanted to go out 
when she couldn't do the work anymore. And she was making her final speech two weeks before she died. Wow. Mm. And uh, let me ask you, how how's the house now? You guys open again? We are open again. and uh, People can come. And, you know, when you come to the house, uh, it's interesting because a lot of people project stuff onto Susan B. Anthony. And they come with ideas about her. Uh, either they idolize her or they don't know anything about her. Uh, but And the house is a place where both you can learn more about the story, about what she went through and her passion, but also get a sense of the human being. Uh, it's a pretty modest house in a very diverse urban neighborhood. Uh, that's what it was when she lived there. And we end the tour usually telling people what Susan B. Anthony said about her funeral service. She said, when I'm gone, let there be no tears. Pass by and get on with the work. Wow. that's <laughs> She could have said, let there be only 10 minutes of tears, couldn't she? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, well, actually, actually 10,000 people stood out in a Rochester blizzard and we have really good blizzards to have her a chance to pay her respects after she died. Wow. This has been so informative. Thank you. I, You know, A, I'd like to be some small sliver of a part of carrying on her work. And B, I would like to not be an idiot at a dinner table. <laughs> Well, you can accomplish both of those, I think. Uh, but yeah. Deborah, that was excellent. Uh, but now we're going to take all that information and run it through the device we call the old Pouncedinator. Paula? House band Ben Castle on the guitar, harmonica, and kazoo. Uh, first of all, it sounds great. Thank you so much. And second of all, um, if I could get just a little bit of background music, I'll tell you what the old Pouncedinator spit out. Oh my gosh, Susan B. Anthony, I, I, I can't believe you're here. I am so honored that you would come to see me. Boy, you look just like you did on the Silver Dollar. No, I, I don't think they make them anymore. Well, for one thing, people gave them away thinking there were quarters. I know, I agree, it was the cheap people who got upset. Well. I think you'll find we made a lot of progress. Um, they passed the 19th Amendment about 14 years after you died. Well, well, no, we haven't passed the Equal Rights Amendment yet, but uh, about 50 years ago, but we've come close. Oh, don't make that face. How about this? We've got three women on the Supreme Court. Of course, one of them is hell-bent on taking away a woman's right to abortion. Now, you don't look pretty when you frown like that. Over a quarter of the Congress is women now. That ought to put a smile on your face. Well, no, we haven't had a woman president yet, but we almost did. She got a slow start because she didn't want to take her husband's name, and she changed her hairstyle a few times over 40 years, and there was something about some cookies. That angry face doesn't go with that doily collar. How about this? Women make only 33 cents on the dollar less than men. We're almost there. No, I can't tell you what the percentage is. My vagina would dry up and crack off like a fallen leaf. She is the president and CEO of the National Susan B. Anthony Museum and House in Rochester, New York. Deborah L. Hughes, thank you so much for coming on this program. Yay! Thank you. Yay! 
Hey, thank you so much. It was wonderful. It was great. Thank you. Coming up, we've got knowledge. We're going to share it. And that's the factoid, Jack Toyd. Our potluck info party is next. Jesus fucks. Get ready for the miracle of Mega, a comedy podcast from the staff of a fictional mega church. And, and not only does he f- but he's the best at it. I'm Holly Loren. And I'm Greg Hess. Our characters, Hallie and Gray, welcome a new guest each week, played by some of the biggest names in comedy and podcasting. Like Scott Ackerman, Lauren Lapkus, Paul Shear, Jason Manzukis, Cecily Strong, and Duncan Trussell. I just love to think about that, the light shining down on all those corpses in the water and Noah just going by and maybe, maybe a mom being like, please, we're running out of energy. Can you please let us on the boat? It's completely improvised and it's devilishly funny. Is there any question you have for us about, you know, what it means to live a life in Christ? I guess, how much do you think is bullshit? There's a new episode every Sunday. Listen and subscribe to Mega, wherever you get your podcasts. Best I ever had. Best I Y'all can do it. Y'all can do it. Y'all sing along. We, you know what I'm saying? Here go. Jesus, you the best. Jesus, you're the best. You're the best. Jesus, you're Jesus, the best. You're the best. Oh, okay, best never mind. Best I ever had. Best wow. I ever had. Fun fact, babies don't shed tears until they're several weeks old and their tear ducts fully developed. So remember, when your newborn cries, he's totally faking it. And we're back. And I got to tell you, Paula, I am reeling both from that interview about Susan B. Anthony, but also from the unexpected fact at the top of this show that a bet that I thought was over. The bet that we could find two of our listeners who uh, played Oliver as a kid and would sing us a little bit of Who Will Buy, that we've found a second listener. You win. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There, uh, you, we got two, which means I win. Oh, my gosh. Adam, answer the phone. Really? Yeah, answer the phone. Um, all right. Um, hello? Hey, Adam. It's just me, Mike Boom Boom Bonifant again. You know, you're going to kill me, man. Can you believe this shit? So I'm kicking back, having a brewski, watching the game, you know. And right. my buddy Joe calls, Joe Medeiros, you know. So I'm like, hey, Joe, how you doing, man? And he says, are you friends with Adam Felber? And I say, well, I, I, I don't know what you mean, friends. But, you know, we hang out after the game a lot, you know. I mean, I give the guy advice sometimes. <laughs> but I, I'm mostly a, a, a loner, you know. And he yeah. says... He has a bet with Paula Poundstone and nobody listens to Paula Poundstone that, that there isn't more than one listener that played Oliver in a children's or school production of Oliver that would record themselves singing Who Will Buy? I said, I know that man. Adam Felber's like my best friend. And just well, then, Joe Madeira starts to sing the Who Will Buy song. I couldn't fucking believe it. L- listen to this. Who will buy this wonderful morning? Such a sky you never did see. Who will tie it up Mm -hmm. with a ribbon and put it in a box for me so I can see it at my leisure whenever things go wrong and I would keep it as a treasure to last my whole life long. Who will buy this wonderful feeling? 
I'm so high, I swear I could fly. Fuck, man, I'm <laughs> high too! I don't want to lose it. So what am I to do to keep the sky so blue? There must be someone who will buy. So are you saying your friend Joe Medeiros, our listener, also played Oliver as a kid? Yeah, yeah, I played Oliver uh, when he was a kid in a uh, kid's production of uh, Oliver. I'm really sorry, man. You you really lost this bet. You double dog lost. You lost like Trump with a popular vote. Oh, did you lose, man? Well, yeah, well. I'm really sorry, man. I, 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 you know, it feels, I just couldn't lie. Feels you know, like now, now that the bet's over, you were just kind of calling to rub it in, Mike. Well, you know, when Joe called, I, uh, you know, he's a friend of mine. And uh, so I knew that uh, he would want me to call you. So, uh, listen, I got to go. I got to go. All right. Uh, Take good care, Mike. We'll, we'll hang out good. after the game. Yeah, no, we won't. All right. Goodbye, Mike. <laughs> wow. Well, Paula, you are entitled to your victory lap. Yeah. What is that? Three? Now That's there's th- been three? Whoo, baby. Yeah. All right, everybody. That was fun, but we have to get to some very important business because it is time once again for our potluck info Adam, party. Adam, answer the phone. What? Adam, answer the phone. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hello. Oh, uh, Adam, it's me, Penelope Vanderbottom. <laughs> oh, um, hi, Penelope. Do you know why I'm speaking Spanish, Adam? Penelope, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not speaking Spanish. You just said hello in Spanish, but everything else has been in English. Como esta stickler? <laughs> Do you know why I'm speaking Spanish? <laughs> no, I don't know why you've spoken three words of Spanish. Well, I'll tell you, Adam, I have discovered a Goya in the wall behind the refrigerator at Paula Poundstone's house, and I don't mean beans, my little stickler friend. I mean a painting by Francisco Day, of course. I I appreciate it for the artistic value. It's a striking piece, just a breathtaking work, but it also bears making note that Paula Poundstone is going to be rich, rich, rich. She'll probably quit the podcast. Well, Penelope, haven't you said you found art at Paula's house before? I have, Adam. I found some treasured works. Right, that's what you've said, but Paula doesn't seem to have profited financially. She still lives in that uh, termite-filled house that the landlord won't attend to. I'm not sure that these have been authentic, valuable art pieces. Oh, they have been. They've been worth millions. The truth is, Adam, Paula has had a lot of debt. Her financial plan has been something akin to break the piggy if the tires go bald. (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying she's spent millions of dollars paying off debt? She also dry cleans her suits. It's sad, isn't it? (laughs) I feel stupid for asking, but what Goya painting have you found? 
Oh, don't feel stupid, Adam. Not everyone knows Goya. I've spent years studying Goya. It appears to be another version of El Tre de Mayo, and I don't mean mayonnaise. <laughs> the Spanish freedom fighter has his hands up, but he's wearing a T-shirt, and he has a big smile on his face like he doesn't even know the French army firing squad is about to shoot him. It's so much more nuanced than the other one. Plus, Goya has used some neon colors, which really makes it pop. Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> sound authentic uh, at it all. It is, though. It is. Look, I've got to go. Okay. I'm presenting at the Gardener. Bye-bye. Bye, <laughs> <laughs> Penelope Vanderbottom. Wow, this has been a call fest today. So, Paula, apparently you're going to be rich, although I'm going to put some... Uh, well, I bet down that you're not going to be rich from this painting. Well, it was a remarkable discovery. It was uh, behind the refrigerator. A lot of so there's a lot of room for stuff back there because uh-huh. the termites have eaten out the whole wall. But uh, not that painting. So that's good. Uh-huh. That's a positive. Um, but it looks very much like the original. But of course, the differences that um, Ms. Vanderbottom mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and the neon colors. Yeah, I'm already I'm already planning on doing more dry cleaning. Um, with what I'm going to make. Uh, don't, don't spend that in advance is all I got to say. But yeah. uh, all, all I can say <laughs> is that let's put that aside for now because it is time for our potluck info party. Hey, Yay! it's a potluck info party. It's a potluck info party. <laughs> it's a potluck info party. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Bonnie Boy. Burns, our, our self-appointed new segment theme song composer and performer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like how when you hear the theme song for Mary Tyler Moore or, or I Love Lucy and just you get a, 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 you get a dopamine hit in your brain just from hearing the theme song because you know good stuff is coming. And that's the feeling I get from that beautiful uh, uh, theme song. Yeah, between her singing and your Glock playing, this show is becoming a musical treat for everybody. Um, well, we have the Potluck Info Party is a great new tradition on the show, and we, we all bring little bits of info, little factoids to the party. Um, and uh, because we don't have Tony Anita Hull... Um, no, she's rowing a boat out to a cruise ship. Right. <laughs> Terrible mistake. Terrible mistake. We do have some special guests this week, don't we? Yes. Well, first of all, you know, it's not much of a party with just the three of us. So we thought, well, for the potluck info party, we have with us our intern. That would be Carly Patron. Yes. Hi, guys. Welcome, oh, Carly. Oh, my I'm here, gosh. I'm alive. Yeah. This, you know, the, the history of this position uh, has been dangerous. Fraught. Well, we all remember Doug. May he rest in peace. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's Carly Patron. And then we have Tyler Burke. Who's filling in while while Tony's uh, row rowing? Yeah. <laughs> hey everyone. Hey. Hey. hey welcome, Tyler. Tyler. Thank you for having me. Longtime fans might remember Tyler's name from uh, helping us out around uh, when we were at Ray Horseman Studios. Welcome back, Tyler. Thank you. It's nice to be in my own home and not on Miranda Street. As much as I miss it. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'm putting down dog waste and and unbent. Uh, hangers just all around the inside of my house so just to make I you feel more replicate. comfortable yeah yeah like Miranda Street that's not what it was like inside the studio but no. getting inside the studio you had to walk through some stuff yeah you sure did hey Paula yeah. why don't you kick off the potluck info party with a piece of potluck information 
Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Bonnie's role seems uh, to be expanding. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a, now it's become interstitial. Uh, <laughs> elephants cannot jump. Wow. They can't jump at all? Yeah. No. So no, Dumbo would have been just as impressive if he just jumped. Well, I don't think so, but Dumbo couldn't have jumped. He could fly because of the ears, but the ears weren't going to make jumping possible, I don't think. I mean, I'm not an engineer. I, I did not know that you can't, you can't even train an elephant to jump. It just can't happen. No. Um, no, they can stand up on their two hind feet and stuff like that. I'd rather they didn't. But, yeah. um, you know, years ago I went to Africa, you know, on a photo safari, and um, we went around in a van, the, the tour group did, and we would go past trees that were knocked down and the, and the van driver would go, oh, the elephants, um, because when they rubbed themselves on the tree, they would knock the tree down. But one thing was for sure, they weren't jumping. And you know those videos where they'll show like goats and dogs and deer on trampolines? You never see an elephant. Wow, that's right. You know, you never see an elephant on a trampoline. I didn't realize that was the reason. Well, that's a great little uh, piece of information that now our listeners have. Thanks to you, Paula Poundstone. Let's continue this. Um, I'm going to go to Carly Patron. All right. I've got a fun fact. You guys get to choose either the U.S. Supreme Court building or Abraham Lincoln. Ooh. Abe Lincoln. Bonnie wants Abe Abe Lincoln. Lincoln. (laughs) Okay. Um, You may not have known that the president had a bodyguard named John Frederick Parker with him on the fateful night when he was shot. And unfortunately, Parker was a police officer with a less than stellar reputation. After arriving three hours late for his shift, the officer left his post protecting the president to get a drink at the Star Saloon next door to the theater. It was during the time that Booth entered the box seats where Lincoln was sitting and shot the president. That sounds pretty suspicious timing wise. Has anybody looked into that? Ooh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I think we might be on the verge of uncovering a conspiracy. Hmm. Yeah, no, wasn't it Our American Cousin or My American Cousin was the name of the play, I think? I think it was Our American Cousin, yeah. That was a, that was a yeah. play playing at, at Ford's Theater. And it wasn't very good, that play. wasn't supposed to be very good, so... Oh, I, I didn't know that. Is, well, this is, this is one of the only times noted in history when, um, if the play had been better, the president would still be alive. <laughs> Um, all right, so let's keep moving here. Uh, how about Tyler? Tyler Burke, what do you got? Sure, yeah. So uh, in, in 2011, uh, Samoa switched time zones across the international dateline, thereby skipping Friday, December 30th entirely and beginning the following day as Saturday, December 31st. So in Samoa, Friday, December 30th, 2011 never happened. Wow. That's really interesting. Is there a reason they did that? Am I missing what the reason was? There, There is a reason. Uh, it's not as exciting as you might want as like time travel or something. Uh, they did more trade with people that were on that new side of the international timeline, oh, which is like New Zealand, money. Australia. Follow the money. It's always money. Huh. Yeah. Apparently they can just do that in Samoa. They can just skip any day they don't like. Yeah. We should have skipped January 9th. We're fools. You mean January 6th? <laughs> the 6th, yes, my mistake. Yeah, we should have gone um, straight yeah. to the 7th. I agree with you. Yeah, that explains why I was late for the insurrection. Because I, yeah. I thought it was the 9th. Damn it. Oh, well, 
Next time, Paula, you'll get there. Yeah. And when I got there, the Congress wouldn't, they wouldn't let me in. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, well uh, Tyler and Carly, you guys have really stepped up and brought some real information here. Let me uh, head over to Bonnie Burns, who, um, who doubtless has a great pearl for us as well. What do you got, Bonnie? Okay. Well, three quarters of the ancient cave art paintings were done by women. And it's always been assumed that they were done by men. Who assumed it? It was just an assumption that it was men. Like huh. in of all the archaeologists in archaeological circles, they just thought it was men. And in 2013, there was a study done by uh, archaeologists at the University of Pennsylvania. And a lot of popular cave art is handprints. And he actually measured the length of fingers and figured out that it was actually women that had uh, done the majority of the paintings. What if it was the tiny fingered vulgarian? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And and what if it was just sort of like, oh, honey, me need handprint here, but my hand's too big and clumsy. Uh, Yeah, that's. I thought that was pretty interesting. It is interesting. Uh, I I question the findings a little bit, but um, I had never assumed that it was mostly men doing the cave painting. I guess I had. I think a lot of feminists are using that to say uh, a lot of times women do a lot of work and men get the credit for it. You know, when I was a kid um, in my bedroom, I had this wallpaper that was like poodles that were standing upright and pulling wagons. And uh, I colored on it once. And, uh, you know, with crayons, yeah. And my mother tried to clean it with some sort of cleanser, and so it just, you know, fucked up the wall. And, <laughs> and you know, I got spanked for that. And I, I always think about cave art. I think, you know, did anybody get hit for that, for coloring on the wall? They might have. And, and I... I I got to tell you, I personally, I don't know that women want to take credit for those cave paintings because they're not that good. They're kind of boring. It's a lot of mammoth hunting. <laughs> wow. It's another. Oh, wow. Look at that. We're hunting mammoths again. Yeah. Do you see what the men do? They just, you know, if a woman <laughs> did it, then it turns out I never liked it to begin with. That's what it is. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and your house is decorated in nothing but cave art, Paula. <laughs> No, it's just a thing. It was like, oh, was it, oh, so a woman did it. Oh, well, then you know what? Turns out, I is it, yeah. I thought I did like it, but I don't. I didn't really. Uh, yeah. So if it turned out that you know, if if at the end of you know watching the <laughs> Super Bowl one day, all the players took off their helmets and you know long banana curls fell down behind their heads, and and you realized they had breasts, and you went, whoa, shit, it was women playing. You go, oh, you know, it turns out I don't really like football. I don't, yeah. I don't, <laughs> I just never really cared for football. All right. Hey, there's one more piece of potluck info, and that's coming from me. Um, and this is this is actually breaking science news, or it's broken in the last couple of weeks, I think. And it's really cool. You know mm-hmm. the northern lights, the aurora borealis, and there are other auroras on the planet where just the sky lights up with, like, green and purple energy and stuff like that? I've heard about it. Yeah. So for years, scientists have thought, well, we kind of think we know what might be going on here. But just like in these last couple of weeks, they've proven that they do know. We now know what causes the aurora borealis. And what is it? Well, it turns out that there are these disturbances in the Earth's magnetic field. Uh, these disturbances are called alphavan waves. And 
essentially it's fluctuating magnetism at the poles that's bringing down these ions from space, which end up kind of like surfing down on magnetic waves and colliding with oxygen particles and lighting up the sky. What's the new part? What's the part we didn't know? We didn't know that it was the Earth's own magnetism and the way it kind of like fluctuates. If you can think of an invisible oh, wind. That's ridiculous. I knew that. What are you kidding? I didn't realize. <laughs> oh. How long have you not known that? Well, I just thought it was a theory, but I, I, I'm um, I'm embarrassed now that you knew yeah, it. And I didn't. Oh, jeez! I would have told you what you know, Adam. When you don't know something, you need to reach out and ask because I would have told yeah. you that a long time. Yeah. And there were scientists that didn't know that. Yeah, it was. I, oh, I mean, pretty okay. much every scientist on the planet didn't know for a fact that that was it until they were able to recently uh, simulate the it in a lab and actually got the lab to glow with an aurora. Okay, let me just say this. Scientists, scientists, here's my phone number. 310-828-0431. Call anytime. Uh, you know, there's no, never too late. Uh, and I can answer these kinds of questions for you. I, I had no idea people didn't know that. That's just, huh. You, you knew it was those things, huh? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What are they called again? The polar, the poles. We had poles, magnetic poles. Yeah, but what, 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 what's the thing that, that pulls it down? What are those the waves ions. called? It was the ions. No, I answer what's being pulled down, but yeah. Huh. Anyway, uh, well, you yeah. knew and I didn't, so that is, yeah. and that <laughs> is, <laughs> that is it for our potluck info party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome, Carly. Welcome, Tyler. Thank you so much. Great job, both of you. That was really fantastic. Um, yeah, appreciate it. Was a pleasure. It. Yeah. Well, nobody's. If you have any questions or comments or you just want to talk about our potluck info party, uh, send that stuff to nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. Paula, what's going on in your Poundstone product empire this week? I'll tell you, Adam, when a company like Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, is strengthened over time by the skilled hand of leadership, success is an easy lift. <laughs> It's only a matter of weeks before my subsidiary company, Paula Poundstone is a poophead, produces its first <laughs> harvest of worm castings from the funniest farm there is. Listeners can order a personalized video message also I can make for their friends, loved ones, or landlord from cameo.com slash Paula P33. That's cameo.com slash Paula P33. And as if that's not enough. On Saturday, July 24th, I'll be in Lincoln, Nebraska at the LEAD Center for the Performing Arts. And on Saturday, August 14th, I'll be telling my little jokes in Bayfield, Wisconsin uh, at the Lake Superior Big Top Chautauqua. I tell you about my remarkably soft tri-polybun t-shirts, but <laughs> Heidi... Yeah, I get it. Heidi, if I could have just one more word, I just want to implore all our listeners to go out there and get the Hot Mic app. That's H-O-T-M-I-C. It's an app that you can get for your phones or in your computers. And come join me and Jeff Cesario as we cover the NBA playoffs. We're doing at least one game a week now. And the magic of the Hot Mic app is that you fire it up on your phone, you let your phone listen to your TV, and all of a sudden, me and Jeff and our expert yet very comedic commentary is synced up with your very tv in your home and you can chat with us in the little window there it's like a big watch party for sports fans sounds good 
It is. It's great. And we're not covering any of that women's football, neither. Subscribe to this podcast. It's free. You'll get it every week at no charge. If there is a subject or topic that you'd like to know about, tell us. We're at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. That's our show. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam DeFelber. Special thanks to our guest, Deborah L. Hughes. Thanks to our house band, Ben Castle. You can catch Adam, Ben and... Adam! Yes? What? Adam, answer the phone! What? Really? I thought we did that Adam, already. Adam, the phone! Jesus. Hello? Hey, Adam! Man, it's me, Mike Boom Boom Bonifant. Long time no talk, huh? Uh, yeah, like it's been 15 minutes, Mike. What do you, what, yeah, what's up? Yeah, you can use that if you want. It's the least I can do, man. I feel I, so bad I for you. I don't want. You know, anytime you want to talk, just call me. I mean, I'm usually a lone wolf, but this shit happening to you is really fucked up. I don't usually even answer the phone because the IRS has been after me. But just a few minutes ago, I was watching a poker game on the sports channel. My buddy Kendall Salter calls me from Rochester, Minnesota. He doesn't even listen to nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. So I'm like, cool, my buddy Adam is in the clear. And then, boom, he tells me his brother is a listener. And he told him about the bet you have with that bitch, Paula Poundstone. And fuck, if my friend Kendall Salter didn't play Oliver in a children's production of Oliver. Listen to this. Who will buy this wonderful morning? Jesus Christ. Such a sky I never <laughs> did see. Who will tie it up with a ribbon and put it in a box for me? There you go, Paula. One up on Adam. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. You know what? I tell you what, that's an uplifting song, though. I could start my day with that. That's a, listen, uh... Uh, I, I gotta go. Call me anytime. Call, I'm not. It was a, never. There's four Olivers, right? There's four Olivers. Oh no, man, your life no. sucks to be you, Adam. <laughs> I can only lose the bet once. But bye, Mike. I gotta say, Paula, I like this guy Kendall. I like his voice. But if he's not a listener to the show, he can't be included in in the terms of our bets. Not unless he starts listening to the show or something. So. uh Kendall, if you want to listen to a show or two, then now Paula's total will stand at four because I didn't say when they, were, they became listeners. But, you know, obviously ruling on the floor is not a listener. Kendall is surely to be a listener now. In fact, you know what I'm really happy about is we brought two brothers together. That's fantastic. Well, we don't know that they were having any trouble at, uh, to, to begin with. But. We brought two brothers together. Yes, they were at each other's throats in the past. No, we they we, we spoken, don't know that. They, they had not spoken since... I, what, uh, 10 years, 11 years, <laughs> they hadn't spoken. This is a beautiful story. <laughs> All right. Once again, thanks to our house band, Ben Castle. You can get Adam, answer the phone. No Adam, way. answer the phone. <laughs> Hello? Yeah, man. It's just, it's just me, Mike. Boom, boom, boom. You know, um, that is so touching the way you brought those guys together. I just we want don't... to thank you so much for that. Okay, Mike. Uh, so you're All saying right, that they, they were feuding. Okay. Yeah. All right. I got to go. Okay, bye, Mike. Bye, Adam. Uh, <laughs> man. I'm starting to feel like Mike has more in common with you than me, Paula. Uh, no, that guy, uh, that, no, that guy loves you. He, he loves nah, you. I, think, he, I, think, he, I get the I sense he would do of, anything for you. I think he's kind of kind of verging towards Team Poundstone, you know? And I, I just, no, no, loves just feels like the loves kind you. of guy that, you know, you might get along with. Anyway, thanks to house band Ben Castle. You can catch Ben as the co-host of a comedy podcast, Totally Rad, a talk show set in Yay. 1996. 
<laughs> Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, Tony Anita Hull, and Tyler Burke. Intern is Carly Patrone. Starburns production by Land Romo and Sam Dunwald. Transcription services for the show provided by Transcribe Me, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? Well, who will buy? Who would, who would have guessed? Who will buy this wonderful... Adam! Adam! What? what? Answer what? the phone. <laughs> Dur- during the music you think at the end? We never do... Hello? Yeah. Uh, hey, man. Adam. It's yeah. just... I- it's just me, Mike. Boom, boom, Mike, fit. Mike I appreciate listen, that you are also whispering during this play out thing. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to. Listen, man, you would be doing me a big favor, like a, a solid, man. Could you do me a solid and not tell anybody that I cried about you when you reunited those brothers? Can you Mike, do that for me, man? I, I really can't, Mike. It, it, it's on the podcast. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck, bro. It's okay, Mike. All Men right. cry. Men cry. Yeah. Pussy, man. All right, I gotta go. Hi, <laughs> Mike. Wow. He's really emotional. A podcast network. Hey, everybody. As longtime listeners know, when Helix Mattresses first started sponsoring our show, Bonnie Burns somehow got the drop on me and made off with the first mattress. But in the intervening years, I have gotten myself a Helix mattress. I've had it for almost a year now, and it has improved my sleep. It has improved my life. I could not be happier. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, which I have, the newly released Helix Elite Collection, which is a mattress designed just for big and tall sleepers, and they even have mattresses made just for kids. Now, If you're like me and you were a little nervous about trying it online, or like Paula, who was screaming in fear of buying a mattress online, don't be. The Helix Sleep Quiz takes into account your individual sleep preference to match you and your partner with the perfect mattress. I took the quiz and I ended up with a great mattress for a side sleeper, the Helix Midnight Lux. Take my word for it, everybody. The Helix Midnight Lux. Oh, don't want to take Adam's word for it. I don't blame you. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula and use the code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Paula. Paula, I invited you over, but you fell asleep. Helixsleep.com slash Paula. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code.